All right. Uh, alaikum. Sarah Sinsan, episode three. Uh, a little bit of a different kind of episode this time. Uh, a lot of you who follow me on Twitter know uh, my friend Stained Haynes uh, at 718TV. Uh, some of you are, uh, a few of you are quite familiar with uh, his magazine, his big project, uh, Queen's Trash, and you know, his magazine, uh, you know, Cars and Women magazine. Uh, and I, I've uh, really just by, just by coincidence, completely impulsively, I just decided one day to invite him onto the podcast. I've been thinking about bringing him on for a while. Him and I have a list of quite a few other people. But really, uh, instead of having you know the usual very formal interview that I've had with some very distinguished figures in the past couple episodes, I've wanted to have a m- bit of a more I don't want to say casual because uh, much like BAP, uh, who I've, sp- I've spoken spoken to a little about this, is that um, you know it's, it's it's you know also he said this on his show that this kind of style of show of the you know I'm just going to sit down and chill with my friends and we're just going to discuss whatever comes up you know it's it's very it's been very appealing for quite a few years but a lot of uh, I've I've just I'm just completely sick of it just as much as he is I guess uh, so we know whenever he, he he brings on a guest it's for a very specific purpose and. Really now, I think I'm pretty, sure, I'm pretty sure I'm doing the same exact thing. Except Stain Haynes, instead, of, he's not just some guy. He's he's a he's a really good friend of mine, as of recent. So, uh, Stain Haynes, how are you? Welcome. Hey, thanks for having me on, man. And uh, and and I appreciate uh, the the shout outs and heads up that I'm something other than uh, certified 100% born and bred Queens trash. Uh, I'm the child of immigrants and the product of the public education system, and. Uh, to, just to give some 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 backstory, so uh, to the ladies and jerks listening at home, and I use that term with love uh, and without a hint of irony, um, I've had the pleasure of meeting Abdullah through Twitter, and you know sometimes meeting people from online in meat space it melts away at like hard-earned cynicism. So uh, uh, it was uh, it was great to to meet like in a way like local trash and and again i mean that sincerely all right like uh because like you're a native all right much yes, like myself yes. um but, but at the same time um what you did is a, a perfect example of how not to let your work be in the hands of others you took it directly like you know uh to amazon yourself ah uh, uh, yes with my book yeah right and in a way with by sidestepping the traditional um, I suppose, uh, uh, what's the word I'm looking for? Um, the, uh, the, the, the modern, uh, well, they call it track oh, hub. Yeah. The, 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 publishing, the, uh, the, you know. the barriers to entry to, yes, to, exactly, to, yeah. to, to sidestep the traditional barriers to entry has now allowed fewer layers between people. And like, realistically speaking, like if their book like has weight and merit and it clicks with people like their money. You know, yeah. So, so now uh, there are writers that are no longer beholden to this like three ring circus song and dance of New York Times bestsellers and this really weird, clouded, um, almost uh, like like um, all right. Well, well, okay. So 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 um, uh, right now, like if you don't mind me jumping into something like uh, you had wanted to discuss. Yeah, uh, absolutely. Or, yeah, we can, we can this. start with anything really. All right, so um, you, you had uh, you had given me a, a talking point. Why most modern literature sucks donkey balls? Uh, yeah, right? yeah. I wanted to get into that uh, a little bit later, <laughs> but it's, now that you've mentioned my book and you know some of the stuff that you've been doing, uh, yeah, I think it's, I think it's a good thing to start mm. off with, especially because mm. recently there was a 
there was a bit of a, a big, uh, this, I think it was this article written by a female author, I forgot her name, but you know, this article she wrote went viral by where she discussed very, uh, very openly, and I haven't read the article, but I'm guessing from the response, this is what she went with, was this very honest portrayal of how, you know, the traditional demographics that have been writing great literature for quite a long time now are being, you know, basically blocked out for the sake, just purely for Oh, uh, Carol Joyce Oates, I think. Yes, yes, her. All right. And uh, this uh, got, uh, she got a lot of backlash for it and quite a lot of people from our side basically coming in and making fun of those people and really getting into it with, you know, the traditional public, traditional publishing Twitter, you know, those, those people who, who actually get their books published by some small time publishing house, except that, and then they only end up selling like 50 copies over the lifetime of the book. When they, you know, they, you know those people. It's like they're, right. they're follow they're following five thousand people on Twitter. They're they're followed by two thousand of them, and they think they have the nerve to come out and uh, lecture internet anons who have sold thousands, probably thousands of books more than they have about how about you know the virtues of going of going through traditional publishing and how if you're being refused, they know it's not because you're a straight white male. It's because your your work is garbage, which right. obviously by you can just tell just from the basic not just the Amazon rankings, but from the mere fact that you know th those books spread not through you know internet like ads or like Amazon ads. No, they spread by word of mouth. People just can't stop talking about them. I think right. Example. Right. Uh, you know. Bronze Age mindset, you know, by BAP, and um... and I remember uh, when when we met up when when I gave you some uh, uh, your shirt and some copies of the Z yeah, yeah, yeah. your Which book. I really appreciate that, by the way. I, I love. Oh that. no! Oh no, dude, my pleasure. And you know what? Like, look at you, all, all gentlemanly and shit. Because I remember in DMs, <laughs> and you were like, "Oh, I never turned down art," and I'm like, "Oh fuck, this dude thinks it's art." All right, damn, I gotta make something <laughs> good now. Like, oh man. So so um, I remember. Uh, uh, when uh, uh, on the way back before we parted ways, I remember yeah. mentioning how word of mouth, even in this digital day and age we find ourselves in, word of mouth is the cheapest and most effective form of marketing. Yeah, absolutely. It's it's really because uh, you know this because I've been thinking about this whole thing for a while. I remember when I was originally writing my book, uh, you know, in that first draft phase, I knew nothing, absolutely nothing, about you know traditional publishing or what the process would be to actually getting my book out. And, you know, I I don't think I was even aware of the fact that you could just shove your book onto Amazon and have it sell that way. I started it out really as an as a leap of faith, just knowing that you know even if I don't sell a single copy of what I'm doing, it's it's gonna be worth it personally for me. So, you know, when I find out later that, you know, I had in from, you know, my internet friends, you know, guys like BAP and um, recently who else, um, Cor Corsair, I think it goes, it goes by uh, Clark as uh, his internet pen name who wrote, he wrote a really great book called uh, King of All Things. All right. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. That, that whole, you know, guide on, you know, more on, you know, having a martial attitude and violence and all that. He's, he, I think he sold his, his book pretty well in the beginning. You know, it's, he, 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 they pretty much showed me that you know, there's always another way you can, you, you don't have to go through this, this uh, humiliation ritual of, oh, you know, writing a query letter where you have to really specify that you're a, you're a 20 year old uh, black trans woman looking to get into the publishing world. <laughs> right, right. Well, well, if I could, uh, if I could just uh, uh, bring something up real quickly, so uh, I could kind of tie it to like what I do. Mm -hmm. And we're like, all right, so Amazon self publishing, ultimately is like, uh, the one of the greatest DIY uh, approaches to anything, because yeah. like like I have a zine, Cars and Women magazine, and it's like it's like I do I make a zine with a guy who, who's like halfway around the world, 
and we've never been in the same room together and we're working on issue six already. Like we're going oh. a year strong. Um, so no, like, like it, it's it, the good and bad news is that it's all in your hands. All right. Uh, yep. uh, 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 DIY stuff isn't just limited to like literature. Oh man. Like think of all the, the, I'm not, listen, like time is a flat circle. All right. And, uh, I think of how, like right now here in New York city, uh, we're like re-entering like the late seventies, early eighties, 2.0, like, you know, white flight, rising crime, drugs, as if someone wants it there, crack made a comeback. I didn't expect that on my 2020s bingo. So like <laughs> now, now stop and think of all like the movies, writers, uh, especially in music, all the barriers that were broken um, uh, in that era. And I think now because the internet is the first and last arbiter of things now, I suppose, yeah. for better and for worse, we're now entering this uh, phase once more. All right, so, so, uh, so take something like uh, like Cars and Women magazine. Even though every issue is available online, there are people who want physical copies of this, and who are we to say no? All right, exactly. And yeah. and uh, and that's just writing and like. I don't want to say crowdsourced because it's like we got a lot of submissions, but half of them are just our homies. Like half of the reason we wanted Cars and Women magazine was to get our friends published. And yeah. the other half was like, well, we want to get published and we also have things to plug and show. So like it started out as this self-contained thing, but like we knew was good. And subscribers and people ordering from overseas, I suppose, in a way like has proved to us it's good, you know? Yeah, so, and um, I want to ask you really specifically about you know your, your magazine and you know a lot of the designs that you're making. How, how how did the idea for all this stuff start? Like because when I when I when I saw your artwork at first, one of my one of my first impulse thoughts was this isn't something that that, that started off with like a really specific political or social goal. This this seems like a really big burst of creative energy that could not be contained, and it just came out in this really wild really just um just stylistic form that you know you, i can't really put my finger on what i can, I can compare it to but when, when i held the magazine in my hands when i was you know, looking through it after i got home um i don't know it, it felt like something that should have been that should have been really official and really marketed you know en masse you know to really young guys and uh really anyone well, of a political dissident nature thank you uh i um you know to be honest uh it, 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 we do enjoy how every issue is sort of like a, to the best of our ability, it is not dated, or at least we try not to date the issues. It's like a frantic burst of elsewhere. Like it's still ahead of its time. Like ideally, if you were to pick it up like a year from now, two years from now, you know, like a, like a well-written episode of The Simpsons or The Sopranos. Like it's, it's, in fact, it gets better every time you pick it up as time goes by. That's something mm -hmm. we kind of unofficially aim for with each issue. Yeah, exactly. And the, the, one of my favorite aspects about it is that, you know, you surround it with all these, all these, um, these images, which, you know, make it sound like some regular guy, make it look like some regular guy's magazine from like far away. But once you zoom in, you have all of these like really serious uh, essays and these, these messages, which, you know, you wouldn't expect you know, with that design, but you know, I guess that yes, <laughs> thing that's because I'm an artist, and you know, I'm, I'm sure you know that already. But 
it's one of the things that artists look the most out for is contrast because that's really what makes or breaks a lot of the stuff that you do and i think you were able to do that in a very lit both literary and visual sense by combining those two things of having you know you know just you look it looks like a you know regular trash guys magazine but then you you get, get into it and <laughs> yeah. then you get into oh by the way did you know that women aren't capable of making independent political decisions <laughs> <laughs> yes it's it's our it's because you know uh, i'm sure you've heard this old talking point of like uh playboy and hustler and oh, i'm just i just read it for the articles yeah like, we, we, <laughs> we wanted to have that as the default and like be so not, not over the top but i mean in fact in the back uh for like hate mail and submissions it was like bro it's called cars and women like what what the fuck were you expecting the parody yeah. of literature <laughs> like we knew yeah. it's it's sort of like um have you ever seen this uh this action movie called the expendables yes and it's it. right if you look at the lineup you shouldn't be expecting richard the third you know exactly what is going to happen in this movie before you watch it just yes. looking at that lineup so if you look uh -huh. at cars and women magazine i don't know what to tell you if you were expecting you know like you know a review of like tolstoy or some shit I don't know what to tell you. And yeah, some, people I mean, uh, <laughs> do. some people do. It was like, this is not the brand of Stained Haynes writing. I come to expect as being a longtime follower. I don't like, dude, it's just, I didn't make you buy a copy. Come on, man. I just, uh, but no. Yeah, see, that's the thing. That's the thing. And I saw someone else make this point. I forgot who. But you, it, it, there's something really <laughs> funny about doing that. And this is something that I, I, I've started, in, uh, you know, I've really, I've been doing it in a very primitive way, see, on my Twitter account. But this is something that a friend, a point a friend made was that, you know, if the, if a, a certain Austrian painter, uh, you know, if he didn't just have a lot of those paintings that he did in his youth that, you know, are fully available on the internet, it wouldn't have been fun if all of his art were political messaging. Like the mere fact that all of his, all of his landscapes are these very peaceful, you know, very serene, like, you know, these landscapes, these buildings, these views, it wouldn't be so funny to basically send that to people and be like, they'd be like, oh, well, that's such a great, that's such a great work of art. Who did it? It wouldn't be, you know, and then you tell them who, who actually painted those, those paintings. And you know, <laughs> that whole phenomenon would not be as funny if, 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 if those were actually political messages. The, the reason why it's so funny and amazing is because, you know, he was an, he was an artist who got into that, uh, you know, a journey in political life. <laughs> you're not wrong. You're not wrong. You're not wrong. All right. Yo, you wise ass, but you're not wrong. Uh, <laughs> um, I, yeah, uh, you know, I, not, not that I have any similar aims, you know, people, I don't want people to misunderstand, but you know, that's the other <laughs> thing. And by the way, you you mentioned Playboy. And oh, by the way, before I say this, I've never held, I've never been within five foot of a copy of that magazine, you know, for all the, all the Muslims and conservative people listening, but I'm just saying this, because, <laughs> I'm saying this because of a story of a recent controversy, well, relatively recent happened like five, six years ago. Mm -hmm. There was this uh, Muslim blogger chick. I think her name was uh, Noor, um, Noor T. I think that, um, I forgot what her last name was. She's like, you know, this hijabi like blogger chick and, you know, this was in play then i guess playboy magazine started putting in like these actual articles instead of you know just just the the, the images of 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 lewd you know scantily clad women right and right. they started doing this and nobody really caught on to that because the i guess the only people that noticed were the regular readers of that magazine and they had this muslim blogger lady you know do a, a like a photo shoot which you know she was in like regular you know just regular tomboy clothing with her hijab on and all this and imposing in a really like tomboyish way 
but they basically they had this feature and then they wrote this they put included this really small column that she wrote so you know guess what happens is that what comes out is it's not that you know oh you know their playboy has changed they're starting they're starting to become more of a mainstream magazine all people hear is playboy featured uh, this muslim chick <laughs> right you right. see what I, you see where i'm going here so you know not only right. did she like did she lose like a lot like a giant chunks of like the muslim community who you know they kind of followed her and you know earned a lot of their disgust but it just showed how much that format did not work for them because you know they didn't start like the way you started you know because you you had that conscious from the beginning you know they tried to change and switch things up because they wanted to include a lot of these political messages you know to try and be you know politically correct and you know mainstream and hip and all that and it just right. backfired and you know that that's not why people were buying those magazines <laughs> which is which is kind of which is kind of funny when you consider it's like even even playboy had to pander to this like imaginary like diversified quota and like and it just um the floor rose to meet their face you yeah. know um it, it is a, uh, it is all right uh just there's just one thing i want to cover real quickly before i i, I run my mouth on on cars and women because we were we were talking about literature earlier yes all right and and i would argue that i'm not an explicitly political person but i do tend to attract uh uh, dissidents in our corner of the internet. All right. Yeah. And, and I think th there comes a point where there's overlap with like many corners of like the earth where we're not like, we're not talking nonsense here. I'd like to believe like uh, up, up to a point. So the reason I bring this up is this. All right. So why most modern literature sucks donkey balls. Uh, well, Abdullah, uh, I think the decline of journalism is linked to the decline in literature and reading more generally. Like, and I don't know what the impact is, but I imagine it's big because like books and literature require readers to like participate more and use their imagination to like construct images and shit while they read it. So like my guess is that the less people read, the weaker and more susceptible to propaganda they become. And realistically speaking, not a lot of people read that yeah, helps like yeah, repetition that helps repetition be a little easier to mold things in place like am i wrong um no i don't think you're wrong i think you're right. absolutely correct i mean people overall i think you know the whole i don't think it's called the literacy rate i think that's something entirely different but the, the rate of people who regularly consume the written word as opposed to just scrolling through stuff on a screen or or as it is now, sadly, with the, the, the whole TikTok reels generation where the, the, yeah. 95% of the content they consume is uh, through a visual format. Yeah. So, so, so what makes this tricky, though, is that like, so um, the, the antithesis, I suppose, of like what we preoccupy ourselves with is you end up having things like woke academia or what resembles it, because I don't know how much longer it could go on for. And for uh -huh. the record, like a third of colleges just go bankrupt, really. Yeah, like we don't, I, don't I, I think I think personally all university administrators <laughs> and uh, a good number of professors need to be sent to jail. <laughs> yes. Uh, yeah. Yes. Uh, not, not just any jail, but in a very in a very remote location and uh, preferably uh, if this I don't know if this sounds a little too extreme for some people of a, a central processing facility. Yeah, we, we should I think we should employ all methods of transportation to get them there. But you know, you know I, what? I'll speak more about that. You know, you know, you know, what we need Abdullah, we need to turn Wyoming into our Siberia. Yes, these people. That's that's what we need to do. So I agree 100%. Uh, so, so so with this thing, all right, like that intellectual brand doesn't have much use for literature. Uh, 
Like it, 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 I've always felt that it understands literature as politics and it is totally disinterested in non-quantifiable things and they, and, and they are relentlessly literal rather than poetic. And it's why their movement is so awful at producing art. Like they, they have not produced a lot of good anything, really. I, I, and, and even though they're propped up and held as the standard that no one can really meet, only the few like outliers of this. The, the point is this. Um, I think I know reason. what you're getting at. Uh, you know, sorry to interrupt, but I think no, no, go for it, go for it. Yeah, it's like what you're reminding me of now is you know the whole bell curve meme of you know the the midwit that thinks that they know everything about you know literature and books and all that, <laughs> and and the, it's these exact people who you know they go into universities having never read anything beyond what their school curriculum uh, required of them, and you know they get into college, they uh they're, they're given all these books and you know these professors. And they think, okay, this is what academia and the, the literary world and what people are reading now, you know, this is what it consists of. And it can, cannot possibly get better than this because, you know, oh, you know, how could it possibly get better than this? I'm paying $60,000 a year to go here. So of right. course, everything here is going to be of the utmost uh, uh, high, you know, educational quality. You know, they, they have that fallacy in their heads. But then right. you, when you go out into the real world and you actually try and find out where the good art is you, you almost always and this is I'm, I'm sure you've experienced this as well the people i find who actually understand a lot of these truths that you know guys like me and you are 100 familiar with either they don't read at all you know the guy these are guys who never went to college or they're guys who read a lot right yes, yeah and this is true it's yeah true. I, remember, I, I remember i saw i saw that tweet recently which you know I, I i forgot if you were the guy that posted or someone else you know, all these girls talk about wanting a guy that reads, but they don't know that you, that most guys who are really into reading are always involved in some host-scaring political extremism. <laughs> right, and if yeah. not, and if not, like uh, host-scaring political extremism, you might have some like lone wolves out there who's just like he's like really into like 13th century po uh, like, uh, Persian poetry or some shit. Like, yeah, exactly. Like you see the people who are in the are dissident, you know, dissident, you, you could call them right wing circles, even though, you know, I keep seeing some of these guys, they're not even following people who are right wing at all. And it's, it's like, these are not guys who joined us and then decided, okay, I'm now going to specialize in like this form of literature or this area of like of medical study. No, these are guys who are, who have been obsessed with their fields for God knows how long. I think, we, I think we have, you know, Anon doctors on who've been working in emergency rooms or studying in academia for 20, 30 years. And they come into our circles because they were basically chased out from the main, from the mainstream. And, you know, they right. found solace in our circles, which, you know, go, go ahead and figure out why that is. Right. Yeah. Yeah. Which, and, and by, by having opinions and views and beliefs that run uh, against this propped up standard that no one can really meet. Like, 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 look at, I, I believe, if you don't mind me blowing your spot here, these, these novella writing yentas, who do they huh? think they are? <laughs> uh, 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 yeah. Talking as if, like, they are, like, you know, the baddest man on the block in a tracksuit with his friends who are also in tracksuits sitting on some stoop. No. That, that, that yeah, exactly. Is, they're, like, and, they're, they're like the mob bosses who aren't really earning money, but their only use is terrorizing the neighborhood. Right, right. And, and they are that for like the literary world, okay? Exactly. And I'm glad and I'm glad you you said it exactly as you said it because like all right, um like the, to conclude the the literature power hour uh, 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 
sucking donkey balls hour. All right. Listen, this is important. No, this is important. All right. So like, uh, I believe, and I'm not saying like, I'm, this is entirely true. I'm just trying to draw the best parallel I can with making a educated guess and like, all right. So like much of the literary world, like the art world is brimming with frauds propped up by their industry. All right. And like the ability to make art, in fact, I believe is inherent in all of us. And it dispels the hype that many authors have built their career around. And mm-hmm. it threatens the idea of like art for commerce. Yeah. So, so there's always this like great coming together of a commerce establishment, which is what the art world is. And it protects their own. And, it, and it's important that they take like the, the outliers and like they, they, they elevate them like uh, uh, to a plateau. Like for example, in like, there were a ton of graffiti artists in the seventies and in the eighties, incredible geniuses whose stuff still like, you know, runs across like my city, all right? But how come only three of them, like Sharf Haring and Basquiat were taking from that ocean of like incredible artists at the time and then elevated to a point that there was something particularly special about them. Mm-hmm. So like, like, like in the art world, now you have like the literary world, which I imagine is more scattered around and it's some like um, quantity over quality BS. Like, wow, how are there so many verified nobodies who wrote like, you know, slop, like no one like in your universe has ever read, mm-hmm. you know? So like these pre-selected darlings of this domain are then elevated to a higher plateau as fast as possible to make them aesthetically unavailable to a lower market. And then like the Dunning-Kruger effect is what makes them lash out at the public they despise as they churn out things that like the public will never read for the most part. Like that's yeah. so, so the, the literary world, even from a, even an uncultured slob like myself who has like no horse in the game, it can look at it and be like, you know what, dude? The literary world isn't even fake and gay. It's like fraudulent and homosexual. That's the literary <laughs> world, right? Yes. Let the record state. And that's why literature sets donkey balls up to a little bit. There's your answer. Yeah, they, uh, re- really, this is, uh, that's, I couldn't have said it better myself, honestly. And, you know, um, this was something that, I, you know, not only I thought of, but, you know, when, when I published my book and then I, I quickly found out just how, horrible the competition was for you in free actual not only like i don't want to say dissident literature because my, my book you know everyone knows i wrote a science fiction novel it's not exactly a, a book where you can insert a lot of political messaging without completely destroying the story and making it a, a, a big pile of dog shit uh, are you listening george uh, rr martin and, uh, <laughs> and then you know i i sold a certain number of copies and you know i started reading around like different reddit forums like okay how much is it normal to sell if you're a self-publishing author apparently i've sold way more than the millions of books that people self-publish on a regular basis so you know i'm i, I guess a boy yeah you know yeah thank you i guess i've just uh, accomplish my mission there really my goal right now is just complete this big art project that I, I have now you know blood of the 11th for people who don't know it's just one of four books and i want to i want to finish those four books before i kick the bucket whenever that is well yeah but but, but you know you, you know uh, uh uh and again to, to circle back to word of mouth now you're not doing any particular out of the ordinary market nah no nah, i just keep i just keep retweeting the tweets that <laughs> that i used 
at the beginning. And that's all I'm doing to sell a couple of books a day. That's, that's all I'm doing. No, but I like, I like how, like, cause like realistically speaking, um, uh-huh. these are uh, certain things are, uh, daunting if not impossible to quantify like i'll give you an example like so there's a difference between having followers and having a following like a following number is not a equal across the board metric yeah you know uh so uh i believe that like people being hip to your book is a is a good example of how like yeah like i'm i'm certain there are people who follow me who never interact with anything i do and that's more than fine all right as long as they're not just like copying and pasting what I do and, and being like, doesn't this guy suck? And it's like, then why are you following me? You know, like, so, 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 so the point is, but there are people who interact with like almost anything I do. And clearly there's like a contingency of people uh, in overlapping circles uh, uh, that see this book and have heard people say great things about this book. And uh, like, and again, word of mouth, even if it's just like words on a screen they're holding in their hand between assignments at work, you know, it's still word of mouth. So, uh, so no, like clearly you must've done something right. Uh, I believe it's because uh, uh, it's an example of like, if what someone writes or if what someone says has worth or weight or substance or value, even if it's in like broken English or English as a second language, people will get, people will still get it. There comes a point where like semantics plays second fiddle to like the content of what is being expressed. You know what I mean? Yeah, exactly. You know, I've had people who said that, you know, my English isn't really that good, but I'm getting your book anyway, which, you know, which, yeah. I was, which really meant a lot more to me than, you know, the usual person that, that just buys it and just yeah. books off with their life. <laughs> that's, that's great. No, that's great. That's great, man. Um, mm-hmm. Because uh, in a way, English is sort of the unofficial standard of internet speak. And, uh, yeah. and, and, and first of all, like, uh, I think people like stop and think of all, like, you know, uh, uh, the cool and hilarious things you've seen over the years, because like, it wasn't in perfect English, you know, and mm-hmm. maybe I'm, and maybe I'm biased because like I have immigrant parents, you know what I mean? Mm-hmm. So like, uh, uh, immigrant parents speaking English, like, you know, hilarity ensues mm-hmm. <laughs> for me at least. Yeah. Uh, so, ch- ch- chimp in nature never jerks off. What means? Yeah. Yes. Yes. <laughs> what means like uh, I, I'll, I'll never get over things like, you know, like Abuela going like, open me this, please, because Abrame eso, por favor. And she's like, brute, <laughs> and she's like brute force translating in her head. Abrame eso, por favor. Like, yeah. because so uh, open me this, please. And it's like always Abuela. I got you. Yeah, so, I mean, so, just, just going to any uh, New York City, uh, God, I hate this word, but, you know, just I, I, I just call them delis, but, you know, bodegas. And you just talk you, if you mm-hmm. talk about to the, any of the 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 Yemenis running those stores, you get more comedic, uh, co- you know, content and in, in speech in just, in just a few minutes of talking to them than you would get from your average like Netflix special. <laughs> it's, it's absolutely. <laughs> it's absolutely incredible. <laughs> no, you're right. Because I mean, well, well, I mean, first of all, like, I think you have to have a sense of humor to work with the public. It's not a requirement, but it helps. I'd yeah, argue. I mean, it just it just makes you a more sociable, funny person. And that, that, I think that's another really big problem with a lot of, you know, modern 
you know, mainstream literature is that not only does it does it suck at a very base level, but it's just none of it's funny. It doesn't have that, that sense of humor that you need Although, to, to, to actually laugh at, you know, not just yourself, but really just everything absurd going on around you. I mean, I think I, I don't think know, part you, of I don't know though, if you've noticed. Uh, go ahead. I, I, I'm sorry to interrupt, but I think part of it is like, so you look at the world of bodegas and it's like if you were to look at it from the perspective of someone in the hood, it's nothing but like Latinos and Habibis. All right. Yeah. From the perspective of a hood rat. But then even a hood rat can be like, wow, they either came from the, from like the Middle East or North Africa or Latin America and came here to the Bronx. Imagine coming to the Bronx and it's like, oh, my God, it's so beautiful and safe here. Thank God. Imagine uh -huh. like landing in the Bronx and, and no offense to any brothers or sisters in the Bronx. Like I'm born and raised in Queens. So please excuse my ignorance here. <laughs> but but right, like it's so easy to lose sight of like, and, and I'm not saying literature has to be predicated on like suffering and misery, but it lacks teeth. Yeah, I wish, no... we had, uh, I wish we had warned Bodega Bro before he, uh, before he landed there. <laughs> Although, hey, you know what? Yeah. You know what? Let's just all agree that like everyone fucked up. Like he could have done better. The internet could have done better. I could have done yeah, that. Yeah, it was one of those situations I, where you don't really know who to blame because it was just this big pile of human failure. <laughs> Although he didn't do himself any favors with an earlier TikTok where he... Um, where and then, he, like, and then uh, later on when he started, when he started uh, which really this absolutely killed me, where he, he wanted to make up for what he did or, you know, his perceived wrongs. So, so <laughs> when he bought a bunch of food and snacks to give around to the homeless people. And, and I, I'm 100% sure he gave it to a couple of dudes who... We're not homeless, but we're just sitting around chilling. But they, but you know, they were just wearing classical uh, New York streetwear, so they looked homeless. Right. I, I, <laughs> it's and, and but you know what? You know what? He wasn't doing himself any favors uh, in an earlier TikTok where um, he, he said uh, he referred to them as these people, and he was hoping to blend in wearing an NAACP tank top at the gym. Oh, yeah. Like, <laughs> that that one was absolutely, yeah, that, that one was worse, too. The one where he's like, 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 like re re realistically speaking, <laughs> I don't know, just like show up in like a fucking like, uh, uh, okay, you I don't, don't know. You what don't city. have a black tank top. <laughs> right. No, no. Uh, hey, he could have worn a respect troops tank top and he would have been a-okay. All right. That's all I yeah. got to say about that. Um, but 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 no, uh, um, I think hell, man. He could have just worn a Knicks tank top, and everyone would have been like, "Man, fuck the Knicks!" And like, yeah, yeah. I, and and rightfully so. I'm from here, and they're terrible. Uh -huh. uh, so no, but but he had <laughs> to pick the NAACP. Really, of all the shirts, that's no. Come on, man. Like that's what I mean. Uh, yeah, everyone um, could have done that. Just, just to quickly move on. Um, because, you know, there's, there's a couple of other things I wanted to, to talk about, too. I know uh, you, among uh, many other friends of mine online, who I've, I've really, I want to say I learned this art from, the art of uh, writing the Twitter thread, which, you know, you've written a lot of threads, which I absolutely love. I think my Dostoevsky one is, the, the your Dostoevsky one is my one of my favorites. Oh, and, thanks, uh, man. Yeah, no, you're welcome. And, you know, recently I wrote a Twitter thread, which uh, thankfully was very popular with a lot of people. Uh, the one of, you know, ho uh, how Homer was discovered by the middle medieval Arabs and, and Muslims. And I just wanted to talk a bit about that because it, it was really strange how that came about. Because I don't remember Twitter threads being this big thing, not even, you know, years back when I believe the, the UI of Twitter didn't even allow for proper Twitter threads. But, uh, mm. but even just, just, I think, a couple of years ago when... I think it was you was still possible, but you know most people just didn't do it. 
And I, th- I don't know where it originated, but it, it became this trademark thing in our spaces where anyone who's an expert in a certain subject would write this Twitter thread. It, w- it would be more educational and make more of an impact than, say, literally an entire book on the subject. So I, I just want to get your thoughts on that. It <laughs> yeah. Seemed, yeah, it seemed to have this revolutionary effect on daily you know, information consumption. Well- well, I think I think part of it. Well, all right. Uh, um, uh, the only the only thing I would say against that is it's not just experts, but even someone who's just very interested in something can write a thread that I suppose can. I'm not saying it's the hallmark of genius, but taking a very obtuse and abstract thing and condensing it to an easily like. Let me tell you why this is the greatest thing in the history of anything ever, you mm-hmm. know? And so, like, for example, uh, I've written threads on, like, uh, America's favorite tomboy, Amelia Earhart, uh, uh-huh. Richard Scarry, uh, Dostoevsky. Pericles. Oh, yeah, I know you've written one recently on uh, Pericles of Athens. Uh, I yeah. Didn't, I didn't finish reading that one, but I, I see the first few ones. I I, uh, um, I I felt compelled to do a thread on Pericles. I felt compelled to look him up just because a, a, a mutual of mine, a gentleman by the name of uh, uh, of Perry, Election Perry on Twitter, um, mm-hmm. he's a good dude, and he fucking lost over two hundred pounds when uh, when lockdown happened. Oh, and, nice, uh, nice. And uh, uh, there is a, a a mob of people who just love the pictures of him back when he was like a heftier, more stately gentleman. So <laughs> I, I DM'd him one time and I'm like, hey, dude, can I post pictures of you as Fat Perry out of like context in my city? And he was like, go for it, man. And that what a <laughs> uh, <laughs> stand-up guy, uh, just posting him out of context. Captions like, Fat Perry runs these streets. Like, oh, it's, it's and you know what? Sometimes in dumb inside jokes elevated to international level are the best jokes, all right? So, so yeah. the, the point is, uh, I figured like, oh, there's like an Athenian statesman who fought in a couple of wars and he was a general and his name was Pericles. Let's see what he's about. And that was a delightful like week and a half of going to the library and just reading up about this guy, you know? So yeah, that's right, boys and girls. Like I use the library. Check that out. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I was actually, actually going to mention that, you know, wow, the library. You know, you right. go there now, I swear to God, the, 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 lo- the level of ghost town that you 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 feel when you go into there now, it's just, uh, it's very sad. Yeah, it's like, oh, it's it's kind of stepping into this yeah, thing. Yeah, you know, I, I, say like that as, like... I say that as a kid who, who pretty much grew, grew up in the libraries, you know, the first few years of my life. Right. Yeah, dude, it's, it's weird because it's like uh, stepping into a place that is slowly phasing out of um, utility. Like, it's slowly going obsolete you know, uh-huh. the library. And yeah, but, it used to be like libraries and bookstores and all that. And then, uh, you know, uh, the Be- the Bezos train came crashing through and just completely <laughs> demolished everything. I just, uh, you know, that's a whole, I think that's a conversation. That's a whole conversation that can be like two, three hours on its own. But uh, yeah, but, I mean, but, but I think, I think, um, I think what makes threads not, not mind you, this is a two way street and I'm not saying this ends. This is the answer to your question, but it's a answer to your question. All right. So um, we live in a day and age now more than ever where um, people outsource their judgment to others for better and for worse, because like who realistically speaking has time to sit down and uh, 
make an informed judgment and decision on everything from like, does my Tupperware have microplastics and does that affect my wife and kids? Uh, am I really getting screwed out of my mortgage? Is there birth control uh, pee filtered back into the drinking water? Uh, um, <laughs> I, I, there are all these. And then on top of that, then there's like your day to day, like what's on sale when you go food shopping and who's what talking head is angry at what in the news. And if you don't have time to watch the news, you usually go to your mutuals on Twitter. <laughs> well, at least if you're me. And then you're like, what is everyone dunking on? Who is everyone upset at? And like, why are there so many quote tweets for that one thing? Oh, that I mean, thing is I realized I realized fairly quickly when I, when I was a teenager that if you wanted actual news and, st and real information in real time that you wanted to get, you did not go to the news. You went to whatever was trending on Twitter. Like mm. whenever I heard that, you know, you know, God forbid, a mass shooting or some horrible accident, uh, like event or accident would happen. I would always just go to Twitter trending. And if it wasn't trending, it was fake. And it has remained true to this day. Oh, yeah. Well, I mean, Twitter is perfecting that everything you see here is true and everything you don't isn't a uh, mm -hmm. game for a long time. Uh, for, for, for many years, whenever something happened on the news, instead of going to the news, I used to go to a, a certain Mongolian basket weaving forum. Uh, that doesn't exist anymore. That's where I went for the news. Although I, I thought it was a particularly charming spot, like because that's where like a Zionist, uh, a neo-Confederate, a black nationalist, uh, a Muslim, and a Mediterranean can all sit at the same table and be like, let me tell you about this fucking Federal Reserve. All right. <laughs> like, and everyone is like, yeah, yeah, man. That's yeah. A, that's like, a, what you just described is a good, <laughs> is a good description of the, the demographics of my following. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Like I always, I always joke that, you know, I have, I pretty much have the same demographic split up in my followers list, you know, people who follow me as there was in Constantinople when it was conquered. <laughs> right, right. And all you're missing, all you're missing are like Latinos with like the most yeah. white nationalist name in the world, but they're from like Guadalajara. Like, yeah, I, uh, <laughs> they're yeah, from like I, Peru, I of, Chile. Yeah, see, that, that's a whole other thing on its own, which I swear to God drives me absolutely insane. But yeah, I get, I've been getting a lot of shit, especially from people in within my own community, like like Muslims who, these were guys who I used to retweet and read all the time. And now they're attacking me, you know, now that I have a following of my own. For the, for the mere fact that I think 40, 30 to 40% of my following are uh, traditional or conservative Christians, which, you know, it's like, you know, go ask yourself why me tweeting stuff about, you know, just really just stuff that we have in common between my religion and, and other faiths, just these really basic truths of the world that liberalism and global homo are trying to extinguish. And you know, I speak right. about these things. And if I'm attracting them, go and ask yourself why I'm attracting them. Don't come to me and, you know, act as if I've been curating this audience, which I completely haven't, you know, I expected more, more Muslims to follow me because of the things that I talk about, you know, sorry to go off on this rant here, but you know, this is something that really been has been pissing me off for quite a while. Oh, oh no, no, not to be, but yeah, it's like, not, not to be arrogant, not to be arrogant, no. dude, but like, no one is a prophet in their own land. <laughs> yeah. Uh, like, <laughs> you know, I, 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 even, even, even Socrates, who I wrote a thread on, uh, even Socrates, like, imagine, Bro, imagine you invent democracy and the next day some guy shows up and he's like, let me tell you why this doesn't work. <laughs> and like, yeah, exactly. he's absolutely right. And if you want to keep that in motion, you're going <laughs> to at least give him a trial so you don't come off as mean when you kill him, you know? Yeah. Uh, yeah. So, so no, um, I think there's always, and I'm not saying 
the immediate backlash is proof of what it is you're doing is good. But like, first of all, like, all right. So like I'm half Greek, half Ecuadorian. All right. And that yeah. puts me in a very peculiar position in where like only the most hypersensitive of Latinos, like especially like second and third generation Latino Americans, it's never the immigrants and it's often not the children of immigrants. It's always the abuela cry types um, that like, especially ones who call themselves like Latinx, which first of all, Latinx doesn't even exist in Latin America. All right. And, and now I, we have like, what a disgusting thing to do to a beautiful gendered language. All right. <laughs> Second of all, um, only this group of Latinos have a bone to pick with me. Greeks have never said anything other than neutral words to like, El avre, like, you know, in, in, you know, uh, agreement with the nonsense I do. Uh, that being said, it's weird because this puts me in a peculiar position of being like, well, like, it sounds corny, but like at the end of the day, what am I like? I'm an American. All right. Mm -hmm. uh, but uh, I'm trash. I'm a particular kind of like I am. The, I'm a son of the soil, you know, uh, and I'm not saying this gives me um, kinsmanship with trash around the world. But it kind of seems like like because even in Greece, there are like what we would call like hicks and hillbillies, but they exist. Uh, to my surprise, they also exist in places like Sweden. You know, yeah. and then there are people who look at like uh, the Gutsto girl shirt design and they think it's like late 60s, early 70s anime and people in <laughs> Japan buy that. And it's like, that's just the pretzel girl holding a Kalishnikov. But OK, your money's green, too. <laughs> like Japanese person in Kyoto. Like if you were here, I'd fucking give you a pound and a hug. Let's do this. You want some flan? Come inside. Yeah. Uh, but yeah, no, and, and by the way, but when I, with, with this, this little rant I went on, I don't want anyone to think that I'm advocating some form of perennialism. That's not what I'm going for. It's, just, <laughs> it's my main aim is to, is to basically say that the ideological battle going on right now is not what, what it was for the past 15, 1600 years, where, where it used to be, uh, you know, the, the Islamic East and uh, you know, the, the savages from the Orient versus the, the, the Christians and the you know, the, you know, basically the, the, the Pope led, uh, you know, whatever you want to call it, Christian civilization mm. on the other end. That's not what I'm at. That's not what I'm talking about. I'm, I'm basically trying to explain that that whole paradigm is gone. I, I, we're, we're in a multipolar wor world now. And what exists now is basically those who have faith against those who are godless in every sense. And that's really what yeah, I'm trying I mean, to get people to understand. Which, which like that. All right. Like, you know, I, uh, I've come to the conclusion, I'm probably wrong, but I've come to the conclusion that, like, for the most part, with few exceptions, there are no more beliefs. There are just people and egregores of control. And, like, even the godless end up worshiping something. Uh, yeah, they, they, have, they have religions of their own, but you, uh, we, we all know. Right, right. So, and, and, and while we're at it, like... Uh, all sorts of people build shrines. It's not just like the inducted. Uh, it's not just the mystical art. Like, and because like, shrines could look, because like practice, I believe is uh, practice is belief. Like what you do, like not what's in your head. You know, um, and um, that's just me. I I could be wrong, but but the point is, um, dude, there's not a lot of people out there who are on their own side, and a lot of people get swept up into like. You know, especially in their 20s, 
like bleeding heart altruism. And I think that's sort of like, uh, barring extreme hardship growing up, I think all people growing up in like the West, like when you're young, this seems appealing. And then when you get older, you were like, oh, Jesus Christ, like that was terrible. Mm -hmm. <laughs> like, you know, um, but because, you know, at least here in the West, there's like perpetual adolescence pushed from the top down. So people never quote unquote grow up and never make that adjustment and shift. And that's why you have even like Gen X libs who are like the most insufferable, obsolete pains in the ass. And like, first of all, Generation X is going through this weird crisis of confidence because this like curious novelty they grew up with has now consumed the planet, the internet, you know? So now they're struggling to stay relevant. And the, the libs of that generation are, dude, can you imagine like 15 years from now, we're going to start seeing Generation X in retirement homes. We're going to start seeing like people with tattoos and, and piercings in retirement homes. It's yeah, going to happen. It's, it's going to be very strange. And, you know, sure. I know, I know Mark Andreessen, he, 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 uh, he spoke, I don't know if he spoke about this at length, but, you know, he had a few tweets where he's basically like, you know, boomers step aside, it's time for Gen X. And uh, I'm like, bro, I don't think you're you're aware of how most of your generation has been acting for the past couple of years. <laughs> yeah, it's, it's a very it's a very strange thing I've been seeing, and you know, especially I think I, I don't know if um, actually no, forget about it. I was going to mention someone else, but, uh, oh, no, but yeah, but it, it is no. Whenever, it is whenever people think, yeah, whenever people think about you know the generational gaps, usually Gen X is glossed over, and for good reason. You know, people think, oh, Boomer and Gen Z, or Boomer and Millennial, and Gen X sort of just fades out of existence and i don't think that it's that there's a coincidence that that happens right um uh one one so i mean all right so to, to, to circle it back to threads which i think is important because consider yeah. what gen x grew up with where like they did not have uh a particular uh immediacy to information like we do today like in fact i remember there's a so there's a band called electric wizard and um, they, they gave an interview and the, the front man said something to the effect of like, and they're from the UK. And he said, oh, yeah, in the 90s, if you said things that like faceless multinational corporations are colluding with the government to like run the world and exploit it. Yeah, people thought you were crazy back then when you said that out loud. And now that's like par for the course. Now, yeah, yeah, now, you, say that, now you, you yell that on someone on the street and they'll be like, yeah, I know. I'm trying to get to work. Right. It's like, what is this? I I, I come to this cart for this, like, <laughs> yeah, yeah, I, I just, so, so I think, uh, I think now uh, there's this, okay, so like this, this slow motion collapse, like, uh, also comes with an immediacy of information that like, I don't know about you, but like, my first encounter with the internet was sixth grade. And it was like my cousin Tito's house, and he was an AOL. And he was just like spamming curse words in like a WWF chat room. And I'm like, this is the future. And, and I thought maybe like humanity would unite and it would be like in Star Trek and like we, we fucking overcome and actualize and realize. Or dip. Nope. It's just like uh, pirated music, porn, fart jokes, cursing. Uh, like that, that's porn. A lot of porn and that's it. That's the internet. All right. So now in, in this day and age where you could find anything from like uh the hadiths to the works of aristotle and plato to moby dick to blood meridian uh you could find it on your phone in seconds all right mm -hmm. and you might get lucky and get a really good translation too so uh you probably won't find it unless you're you're 
you know, you overcome the mental, I don't know about you, but I come up with reasons not to do things before I come up with reasons to do them, you know? So yeah. like, uh, but one way I scale that wall super quick is like, you know, I'll ask a homie. It's like, yo, Abdullah, uh, can you recommend blank? And it's like, yeah. And like, uh, hey, like Abdullah likes things that don't suck. Now not checking it out makes me an asshole. And now, and now I could scale the wall like, you know, like I'm running up it, you know? Yeah, like, some of my favorite things about Twitter networks is that you'll you'll always have someone, you know, and this, this applies whether you have an audience or not. You'll always know someone who can have a recommendation for you that doesn't suck no matter what it is, whether it's literature or art right. or, or even something serious. Like, you know, uh, you know, there was a lot, there was a lot of guys during COVID who, you know, they were, they were recommending the medications that actually worked as opposed to the uh, gar uh, garbage doctors in real life who are basically saying, Oh, you know, there's this treatment, but you do, there's a waiting list and whatnot. And Oh, by the way, the waiting list depends on the demographic you're a part of. So, so uh, fuck you, I guess. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. 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 I mean, it's, you're not wrong. Um, it's, it's, uh, well, well, we're lucky that like one of the reasons we can, that this is fostered and facilitated is because like people who have an interest in things. So like, for example, uh, I'm not a Dostoevsky scholar by any means of, of, of the word. Uh, I don't claim to have any special arcane hidden knowledge or understanding of him that is immediately available to anyone else. I just felt compelled to explain how and why this man is worth reading because like if it wasn't for Norm Macdonald saying that was his favorite author, I wouldn't have checked him out, realistically speaking. And I was blown away by this, you know, magnificent, like, body of work he left behind. And really, like, even friends have recommended him to me. And I was like, nah, like, dudes who are really sharp, who've got ridiculous things in motion going on in their lives. And they're like, yeah, bro, read Crime and Punishment. I'm like, nah, I'm good, dude. Like, <laughs> like, like the biggest jerk ever. And I just, uh, uh, I, there's a, a Reddit, ask me anything with Norm Macdonald. And uh, one of the questions was like, who's your favorite author? And he said, Dostoevsky. And I'm like, well, all right. Yeah, now you have to. Right. Like, what are you? I'm sorry, funniest man in the world. I'm not going to check this out. <laughs> no, it's impossible. So, uh, so no, um, I, I, I felt compelled to make a thread just because now I'm interested in who wrote the book. Yeah. Right. By the way, I'm, I'm uh, for everyone listening. I'm going to link the book in uh, the description. I'm sorry, not the book. I'm going to link the thread about about Dostoevsky in uh, the description of this podcast. Oh, thank you. Yeah, I appreciate so I'll, make sure, I'll make sure everyone checks out the things that we're talking about here. You know, what, what, what all the books you bring up and whatnot. So so um, I uh, I felt I felt compelled that like, you know, uh, being amongst the worst of Russia, like, you know, uh, when imprisoned and even other people have described his like physical appearance as of like, oh, no, he looks like he was too sad to die. <laughs> Like, yeah, he, 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 see, he that's like the, what he wrote. One of the most, that's one of the most fascinating things to me about his life was, um, and this inspired his book Demons, which I, I'm yet to read, but I've, I, I know, uh, I know a bit about it. I've read, for, and I've read a few excerpts is that, uh, what he describes, you know, a lot of people, I think, uh, Bap also said this that he was describing pretty much how, what the mentality and what drives the resentment of communists, uh, you know, and he did it really before their time. 
And but it also reminded me of uh, I'm not I'm not sure if you're aware of this, but in Islamic history, we, we, there's there was this group always called the the Khawarij, who were considered really the extremist groups who popped up after the third caliph, not after the third caliph, sorry, after the second caliph, and you know they assassinated the third and fourth caliphs, and so and we've we've had problems with them ever since, but they've just had they've been coming in different forms and in different times, mm-hmm. and I think really. To me personally, what he what he described in that book and really the kind of people that he spent uh, time with in prison, these were the kinds of people that make up, see, the whether they're the Khawarij or the communists or really any of these insane groups who, become, who, when they lose God and they lose faith in pretty much anything other than themselves and their disgusting aims, this is what you get. This is this is the result of it. Mm. Yeah. So I, I don't know what your thoughts on about that, but. Uh, yeah, that's pretty much what's been driving my thoughts whenever I think about Dostoevsky and how in a very, uh, in his own premonition, he was able to, uh, to describe these people perfectly. Well, I think, uh, I think it's proof that like, okay, so like, first off, uh, consider how much better of a translation you would have gotten from that if you read Russian and read the original work of Dostoevsky in Russian, right? Yeah. However, you read it in translated English, and yet it left like such an impact on you. So which, which I'd argue again, like if what someone says or writes or does has like style or substance or merit or weight or truth, uh, semantics plays second fiddle, you know? So like, so um, like, you know, there are reasons um, like some authors leave the impact and are profound in the way that they are like um like say what you will about like Ernest Hemingway and to what degree of his life he exaggerated and whatnot like Ernest Hemingway short stories are better than 90% of like any movie you could pay money to watch because they're almost all they're almost all like all right one time this happened and it's like prostitutes arguing on like a train somewhere in Switzerland or like hey we're gonna hunt lions brb you know so (laughs) yeah so so, um, so, so, so what happens is, um, uh, uh, um, real quickly before I forget, because we live in a day and age where people outsource their judgment and they outsource, you know, I suppose their time and attention and their energy, uh, like Dostoevsky, I feel is something like worth recommending, like not to brag. I mean, you're an artist, uh, an artist, you have more of a right to say this than I do. But like, not to be mean, but like some books and authors are touted around and they're like, oh, this is the best ever. And it's like, all right, like take Moby Dick, for example. It was a good book. It's not like if I need to kill a box turtle and I only have one book, it's either Moby Dick or Infinite Jest. All right. Mm -hmm. Uh, Yeah. But but like, all right, like it was like 600 pages of world building. And then like the last 140 pages, it's kind of like that album Leviathan by Mastodon. Oh then it's the most metal thing in the world because <laughs> then you finally get to the, to the whale and he's got the runes on his brow and the javelin sticking out of his hide. And, uh, yeah. right. And, um, and never mind, never mind that when this book began 740 something pages ago, all right, it's like, call me Ishmael. This guy could be named Steve for all we know. Like what's, what's this call me Ishmael. All right. <laughs> so, um, and, and it's, it's, it's almost poetic and like one by one, uh, this the, the the crew falls to this uh, this horrifying thing, which is meant to be whatever you want. Like 
could be like time, fate, nature, cosmos, God, death, the universe. Um, uh, and and um, Ahab, by his own folly, dies. And then Ishmael, who may or may not be Steve or like, you know, um, Ahmed or like, you know, <laughs> Raphael. <laughs> no, call me Ishmael. All right, whatever you say, Tom. So like he, he makes it back in the end. So like, would you argue that like, Okay, I'm not picking on Moby Dick, but there are classics that like, like, I don't want to say they endure because of hype. Moby Dick is, of course, like, you know, historically significant. I get it. Yeah, but it's like 600 pages of world building and then like 140 pages of like... I mean, every work like that, I feel like sticks because of some kind of spiritual impact that they left. And even if you go back to it and you realize, okay, maybe a lot, maybe like even something like 90% of uh, the book is unnecessary or could have been shortened down or whatever is, you know, it's, I think it's like you said, you know, the semantics are become secondary with a lot of those books is right. You know, the, the, whatever the, the message that they left at the end or, or something that they did overall, but it was just so impactful and everlasting that it was worth, that it was worth it. That, that even, you know, you explore it 300 years later, even, and you go back to it and you realize, wow, this is something that, is irreplaceable. Like I, I, uh, one, one of my favorite novels, and I think this is my favorite novel of all time, uh, The Count of Monte Cristo. Ah. And, you know, you go, you, it's like 1200 pages of, of, you know, this really slow burn and you, you're reading through the story and you don't get the payoffs until the last 200 pages or so. So you just go, you just can't, you just, constantly reading like world building dialogue 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 uh actions that you don't understand but you need to go back and read to figure out if this is related to this character or not and you know characters putting on disguises and the author never tells you uh whether it's this person in the disguise or not and he just leaves it for you to figure out but Mm. the mere fact that this story was the foundational revenge story that every single revenge story that came after it took something from it that's what made it so impactful and made it such a beautiful classic is that uh, you look at Batman, for example, Batman has a lot of what made the, uh, a lot of what made the Count of Monte Cristo, you know, the, the, his whole story of, you know, something happened to him when he was, when he was very young right. and he spends the next uh, 10, 20 years of his life planning and building up. Uh, you just did that concept on its own. You know, recently I watched this uh, incredible, you know, classic movie, uh, the, the Mask of Zorro. And it, it it stole it ripped off completely this uh this aspect of the crystal uh, <laughs> where you know he's in, he's in uh the prison and he needs to escape so and then you know some one of his cellmates dies so he uh he puts himself in his in his little in, in the big body bag that they're dumping out into the prison and then climb and then climbs out later you know, there's just a lot of stuff like that you know uh, I I don't want to rant about it for too long but you know it's, oh, it's that's, one of my, that, one of my favorite book. books for a reason all right all right and so, so it actually not- it actually inspired uh quite a bit of blood of the levens so 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 any ladies and jerks listening I'm not anti Moby Dick I just wanted to get an artist's uh, uh perspective on this thing uh, yeah, I'm not I, I haven't read I'm yeah, not I trashing Herman Melville yeah. or, or Moby Dick. I will say, like, save yourself some time and read Blood Meridian if you want to read something lengthy that you could kick around your head and leave an impact on in, in, in your psyche. Go read Blood Meridian. Uh, mm-hmm. um, only book I've ever picked up twice. Uh, yeah. And I kind of want to pick it up again, actually. Yeah, so, um, I haven't read Moby Dick, but, uh, yeah, basically that, that whole little uh, rant I went on was uh, – Really, I'm just trying to say that, you know, even if I haven't read it, I, I'm guessing that, you know, and I plan on reading it later in the future, 
that it, it's it's i don't know if this is a counter to your argument uh but yeah i, I guess that if it lasted that long i guess a lot of the, the stuff that you, that you talked about now i don't want to say it doesn't matter but i guess it can be sort of shelved behind and you you know it's it's worth it to make it through it you know not not every long book can be like the iliad where every single book has this explosive lesson of its own oh yeah i mean well i mean the, the iliad Realistically speaking, the Iliad with a great director and a budget would be this like multi-series HBO thing better than any Marvel Universe. Uh, yeah, I would. I would personally, if, if I was super rich, I would personally put in millions of dollars to, to see Diomedes uh, slit Aphrodite's wrist on screen and have her shriek like the like the absolute demon that she is. Right, and <laughs> and and the and the best part is like, does he bring it up to anybody? Like, is this? <laughs> yeah really it's like you you read some of the stuff in the iliad and it's like this is something that should have been tv worthy before anything else like it's such a shame that we made cartoons or anime or tv about anything before this excuse excuse my ignorance but like if memory serves me correctly it's like he wounds two gods and just and he's like yeah that was cool and continues yeah, that's like it. The story. he never brags like, about it he never not... brags about it he never brings it up again <laughs> he never goes back to agamemnon and says by the way i wounded two gods no he doesn't do any of that he just goes back and says okay you know i really think we should keep fighting and not give up because hey i think hey I, guys i think we have a chance and that's it <laughs> <laughs> yeah. look at him leading by example without his yeah. troops realizing ah oh, it's oh, by the way, uh, for anyone who wants to read more about Diomedes, uh, there's a great uh, <laughs> column about him in uh, the, the most recent issue of Man's World, which uh, I, I also wrote uh, a column which about something else, something else entirely. But yeah, I forgot who wrote it. But yeah, you, you guys should absolutely check that out. And, you know, um, I, I just to go back to, you know, for example, your magazine, uh, another magazine that really reminds me of something that should be mainstream, but sadly isn't is Man's World magazine by a good friend of ours, uh, Raw Ag Nationalist. Just you look at the I'm one of the one of the most beautiful aspects about it is the design itself. You know, this is something mm. that should be on every shelf, but really, you, you know, you know how the world is, is built. Excuse, at, excuse my inject something like that. Excuse my ignorance, but I believe um, Giant Geo, an artist on Twitter, he had something featured in in um in Man's World magazine. Um, it might have been an earlier issue, but yeah, yeah, definitely, I'll look for that. Mm. But oh, I've also, heard nothing. Uh, Geo is uh, Geo is a good friend of. Uh, everyone in the sort of the art side of uh, dissident writing Twitter as well. Oh, yeah, I've had the pleasure. Opinion. I've had the pleasure of being on his, uh, on his show, the a content minded podcast. Nice. Nice. Uh, it, what a, what a affable and ridiculously sharp uh, gentleman with mental agility, like mm -hmm. in spades. Um, it was such a pleasure to talk with him and, uh, and no, like, you know what? Uh, one aspect i suppose for lack of a better term like our corner of twitter that i find fascinating is how um it's 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 not quite like a secret society you induct yourself into but it's not like we're some nefarious uh a uh, gang of supervillains like plotting to take over the world like that happens in group chats yeah or like or like, like some we're gentleman's not <laughs> club or like some gentleman's club where we have to pay 200 dollars a month to be in right right however i would argue there are things happening in group chats that have the power of like three think tanks and half an intelligence agency. All right. Exactly. Yeah. It's, so. quite, it's quite scary. Yeah. <laughs> I, I won't say, I won't say what I'm personally involved in, but uh, yeah, so, I've, I've seen some of the stuff up close and uh, yeah. It, it, and uh, it's funny. not exaggerating. <laughs> it, it's, it's, it's funny because like, you know, uh, uh, 
uh, winning hearts and minds, I would argue, uh, is something. L- l- listen, look at three letter agencies, okay? Mm-hmm. Um, for all of their resources and for all of their manpower um, and all of the people on their payroll, they could never really understand or learn things like the Streisand effect or like mm-hmm. lurk to like lurk two years before posting you'd figure, <laughs> but no, no one ever gets that. And yeah. So, so you just, uh, you just described what I did. <laughs> yes. Yeah. I was, I was yes. quiet, but I wasn't quiet for two years. I was lurking in a very quiet person on Twitter for, I think five years. Mm. Yeah. So, uh, but you know, and it's, it's, it's really wild. Cause this is something that I personally experienced. Like people see these big accounts and they think, oh, they must have like an in or something. No, really, it's absolutely due to the fact that we entered these spaces and we started posting. And it's not like we started shit posting for absolutely no reason whatsoever. No, we started creating content about things that we read about and we're very interested in and that we love. And it just so happens that people like those things. And uh, that's that's really all it is. Also, tweeting a thousand times a month helps too. I, it, it, well, it, it doesn't hurt if you've got something to hawk. Um, yeah. I, I, I will say, but but no, uh, you know. It, also, I, I don't. Uh, sorry to interrupt, but you know. Um, no, you're good. You're good. If you don't, if you don't mind me asking, um, I know recently you had a thread where you had a really big gripe with some some of the guys on Twitter if, on the more political side of things, and your main problem with them, and correct me if I'm wrong, was that they were only taking the side of, oh, hey, by the way, guys, look at this horrible thing going on. And then, you know, not suggesting anything whatsoever to fix that, but just moving right. on. Notice Expe- and expecting notice to and have, move on. Exactly. Expecting to, to have a big following and people subscribing to their Substacks and their YouTube channels purely based off of that. You know, I like to call it Ben Shapiro syndrome, but yeah. Uh, you know what? Uh, oh, you, oh, you oh. <laughs> ben <Please>? Shapiro <laughs> syndrome. Yeah. <laughs> do you want to talk a little about that oh of course okay so i my, my my biggest gripe with culture war in general all right um now i i'm 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 sure people look at culture war arguments that that boil down to hey have you ever noticed how bad this thing is you know that thing you can't ignore anymore so uh so yeah you should notice this and move on and that that uh first of all uh no one ever offers anything beyond stage one thinking and i think uh i'm not saying anyone is responsible for telling other people what to think or do or believe in at the end of the day no one with a platform even remove themselves from the political and say the following all right which i don't think this is radical at all but instead of notice and move on Let's look past stage one thinking. Imagine someone out there is like, hey, you know all that old clothing you don't wear? How about you take it to like the Salvation Army or something? Mm-hmm. Leave it in a garbage bag in front of a thrift store. You go, hey, there are things in your pantry you haven't opened for like a year and they're good for like another year and a half. Go take it somewhere. You don't, you don't, yeah. you know, uh, there are things in your apartment you don't need or use or even want, but you haven't thrown out. You can give it away. Like, Absolutely, hey, yeah. hey, uh, like, did you just have like a weird knack for like math in high school and it came easy to you and you got accused of cheating because you couldn't show the math, but like you were just like super mega awesome and incredible at math. And now because you don't have to show the work with spreadsheets, you're even better at it. Why don't you go volunteer at the YMCA or something? I'm sure yeah. there are like 11 communities in like a three mile radius that could use someone tutoring kids in math. 
Yeah, like it doesn't. Just, uh, just to play devil's advocate, if you, if right? You mind, is that, oh, uh, go for it. A lot of a lot of people would say that you know, yeah, that content really doesn't encourage anything further than stage one thinking. But um, guys like, uh, actually, I won't mention names, but you know who I'm talking about, and I think they've blocked you, which is hilarious. Is that <laughs> is that you know they'll say, okay, well, that is our form of propaganda, and that on its own will encourage people to want to change something because it makes them so angry and it riles them up you know, and access propaganda on our side. But, you know, I have my own response to that. But, I will, you know, what would you say to those people? Oh, uh, well, um, there are hardly uh, enough examples that can justify this um, in where uh, that that is the right wing version of Jon Stewart going, oh, we're not the news, so we don't have a responsibility. That's it. <laughs> That's it. it I mean, it's like it, it, it's, it's so it's so underwhelming and trite, like you know, now hear me out. All right. Hear me out. Um, I, I find it, I find it not suspect, but just so perplexing when there are culture war guys on our side using language like dismantle. And like, first of all, whenever, like, like, okay, the beautiful, the beautiful language we use that is being destructed <laughs> and broken on the knee of some giant golem like, remember back in the 2010s when people talked about how things were problematic but never said what the problem was? Yeah. So now now we got terms like dismantle. And no one ever brings up, like, how, when, where, like, the thing we're dismantling, are we replacing it with something? This is, like, are, are, what kind of, like, reservoir dogs operation are we getting ourselves into? Like, how <laughs> committed are we to this thing? But no, you never... If you can't get a definition for what a word is in like two sentences or less, it's gobbledygook. Like I don't trust words invented in the last 20 years. All right. I mean, so either. like, so like dismantle, ask someone what that means and they will just start telling you things. That's it. It doesn't. So, so to see culture war guys who are on our side, quote unquote, which again, I'm not a particularly political person. I've just attracted a number of people because I just fucking hate liberals. I don't Same. like them. Same. I just I don't like uh, them. Story of my life. Like right. Like I'm. Uh, first of all, they pander to my mom's side of the family. Like they're special ed. Like like Latinos are fucking pants on head retarded. Like you know, uh, uh, like midgets that look like you know, uh, refrigerators painted brown with sombreros eating rubber cement. <laughs> That's how liberals talk to Latinos. All right. Second of all, <laughs> like Greeks are like swarthy enough to be like not white. Like oh, the only people who look at Greeks and even remotely consider them to be white are like ethno narcissists who can claim lineage to like Ket and like 14th uh -huh. century pharaohs, but some of them couldn't tell me who their father is. Yeah, you know they're, they're my favorite. They're, they're oh, by the way, I, I must mention this. <laughs> I must mention this. Uh, I, one of my favorite parts about meeting you was the fact that you know we were sitting in the in this in this fast food joint eating, and you were ranting to me about and telling me the story about how you got yourself kicked out of your woke Black Panther friend. Uh, uh, no Black Panther fan, uh, you know, friend dinner dinners party, right? And you were doing this while we were surrounded by people of that same exact demographic. <laughs> <laughs> oh no! It's listen, listen. First yeah, of all, you didn't, you didn't give a fuck. It doesn't because listen. Uh, number one, am I wrong? And number two, like not to be not to be vindictive, but like listen, like a Chick Fil A is kind of like what Highlander see as consecrated ground. All right, yeah. like uh, this is. This is like the Moss Eisley Cantina of like the, of of uh, of hood food. I mean, like if this were a church's chicken, I might have had a chair thrown at me. But I know where I'm at. 
it's yeah. it's mid uh, it's midtown too during lunch. <laughs> I I knew the odds and risks involved. Okay, Abdullah. So so that being said, um, uh, I used to have an interest in like uh, like for example, like when Occupy Wall Street happened. I remember watching on like uh, on RT, uh, which was funny because it was like Occupy Wall Street proved to me that like the news only has two modes, blackout and circus. All right. So uh, there was a guy with a sign and, and it said, why are you watching this at home? And I'm like, eh, I don't have an answer for that. So I went the next day and it was kind of ridiculous. Um, so so I, I was interested in knowing more. And it was like, well, what do we do from here? Like, okay, the drum circles are nice. What was a really nice touch was there was this like a uh, guy who was a lawyer and he was like, hey, if you got arrested, you get one free phone call. Do you remember any of the numbers on your phone? And everyone went, no. And he was like, all right, so I got a magic marker and here's my number. You're going to get your one free call. And if you got arrested, you call me. And like what? And people show, it was, it was kind of moving actually. They mm -hmm. even had to hire an accountant to keep uh, all the donations in check and made sure they were all accounted for. Pun intended. Nice. Uh, the People's Library was dope. I borrowed a couple of the books there that I feel not bad that I didn't return because then I went to some meetings and it was weird because it was like, oh, well, she can't be a feminist because she wears like stockings and wears lipstick. And, and you can't be a part of us because you crack too many jokes and you eat red meat. <laughs> and it was like, wow, this is uh, my the first five minutes of this meeting and people are drawing lines in the sands. And, and, and it made me think like, Hey, remember in the 80s and the PMRC, like the, the, the Christian right and like neocons were like, hey, let's terrorize people and say rock and roll is going to make kids kill themselves. Yeah. They had conflicting beliefs. But you know what? That's proof of Dula that common goals outweigh common interests. All right. So uh, if they could get together and ruin people's shit, why can't that, you know, segment I don't know why. I think it's because like intersectionality has conflicting values that are only put at rest when used as a cudgel against like the working class, because wealth is the one true privilege. That's one reason I got kicked out of their meetings. So anyways, I'd always been interested in like, you know, I don't want to say direct action, but collectivizing is the only way people can get anything in this country done. And no one ever wants to bring that up. No one ever wants to uh, yes, like, I, I, yeah. And it's so lame. No one wants to go to a fucking town hall meeting and be told to shut up by some weasel who has ran unopposed for the past 28 years. Banking exactly. That's, 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 that's something which I'm really glad you mentioned is that a lot of the people in those positions, they're not there because they withstood criticism for all these years and built themselves up. No, they're only they only exist because no people were just too shy or cowardly to just tell them off. Right. Not even or, once. So they're just sitting there thinking that they're these ki these kings in their positions. When in reality, all it takes is just for one person to be like, hey, who the fuck do you think you are? And to tell them off. And then suddenly the, you, these people, they become paralyzed. They don't know what to say to you. Right. I mean, like, it makes it it, it, it makes it it's, it's almost crushing when you realize that, like, you know, even in a place like New York City. So, like, uh, let's say uh, if, if, if there's a uh, uh, if there's something happening for like a, a zoning board. Or like um, what's going to be taught in schools and like the school board or like uh, even things like that. Um, it only costs like $300 and you have to get a couple of signatures and then you run against someone who like, hey, this person is friends with every real estate developer in town. Like it's not easy to like, come on. Like, in fact, 
why have there not been a first wave of like fresh politicians? Like, hey, I ain't been bribed yet. Like all politicians are corrupt except me. You know, yeah. like and, uh, and not hey, to- hey, can I, hey, can I build a rifle store next to a Chuck E. Cheese? Right. I haven't taken. I haven't been corrupted yet. Vote for uh, vote for Abdullah. Won't take your bribes. <laughs> you know. Uh, but, but no. But but the thing is, it's like there are options and there are things people can do. Uh, it, it, like all right. Like here's here's a uh, something in that thread uh, that, that I feel is worth mentioning. So like. Yeah. It doesn't matter what your thoughts are on like gay weed. All right. The point is it happened. <laughs> so, <laughs> so, so th- thank you for laughing. Cause some people, I say that to some people, they, they, they fucking look at me like a fucking dog getting shown a card trick. Wow. Uh, it, 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 that's all right. Cause some people don't have a sense of humor, but for the ladies and jerks listening at home, I'm talking about gay marriage and legalized and decriminalized marijuana. Okay. It doesn't matter what you think about it especially if you live in America, because now it's a thing. A lot of it, so much of it started as like a ballot, an initiative, and then it went to like knocking on doors, phone banking, volunteering. Now, uh, to the degree which there were uh, parallel and co-current interests working in tandem with one another, I wouldn't doubt it, all right? But how is it that all these different counties and these different states and these different municipalities in these different districts, you know, they all started working in the, like, you know, like, uh, yeah, like, no one wants, no one wants to explain how California, I think this was in 2010, voted against gay marriage, literally the most liberal state <laughs> in the country. And right. then just a few years later, they're all on board with it. No one wants to explain how that happened. Especially considering how big of a state it is. Like, that's a lot of votes. So, so, yeah, so, that's, so the point is, it's, it's three countries combined. <laughs> right, right, right. So, so then, um, uh, these 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 things are put forward in motion. Now, obviously, not all of them win and succeed. But the important thing is, like, they start making dents, and uh, and then before you know it, like, all right, and it's not without fault. Like, look at Colorado. They, for the first time, they had a, a budget surplus, if I'm not mistaken, because of, like, the tax collected on, like, uh, legalized marijuana, right? However, yeah. uh, you know, uh, criminal elements still have to make their money, right? And one thing no one ever wants to talk about is how states with legalized or decriminalized marijuana, human trafficking crime has gone up. Because, like, again, criminal elements and cartels still have to kick up at the end of every month, right? Uh-huh. Drugs and guns, uh, like, you, you use them once and that's it. The guns, not so much. The drugs, yeah, unless you cut them with things and not all drugs can be cut with things, right? Guns have some limited utility. Technically, theoretically, a human being can exchange an infinite number of hands for an infinite amount of money. Huh? So no one ever brings up how in states like Colorado, like uh, the rate of kidnappings has gone up. Um, And you know what? And while we're talking about legalized marijuana, because, again, it doesn't matter what how or what you think about it. It's there now. Uh, And in the next 10 years or so, we're going to start seeing a rise of kids who have like um, mental health problems because they grew up with that shit decriminalized and even more immediately available than like previous generations. Exactly. You know? Um, but but no, so, so the reason I bring all this up is that this all happened, um, you know, this all started on the local level, and local politics is where the magic happens. It doesn't, 
you know, but it's because, you know, most people would rather just like go home, order takeout, watch Netflix jerk off and go to bed and then go back to a job they hate. Like that's and, and, and you can't fault people for like playing life in spectator mode like you can't. But, you know, like I, I, I all right, like I'll give you an example. Um, I don't know if you remember the rally to restore sanity that like the Daily Show had. And uh, it was um, it wasn't so much a political rally, but it was more like we're above politics and we're not lame. And Jon Stewart could have easily have told like his constituency, go out and vote. This is important. And then like the Republicans won the midterm election by like one and a half percent. And it's like, wow, dude, you could have told everyone at that rally to vote and you could have probably gotten that one and a half percent. You fucking Puerto Stunad, John Stewart. What is your deal? <laughs> but it's like, oh, but we're not the news, so it's not a responsibility. So to bring it back to, you know, what you would ask me earlier. Yeah, that's and, and to say like, oh, well, we're influencing change. And it's like, are you waiting for that's like a guy chain smoking, waiting for results. Like, I can't wait until it starts to met- metastasize. <laughs> Like, we're fucking, like, smoking cartons outside. No. Like, it doesn't... That's kind of, like, cocky and arrogant in a way. It's like, I know this will pay off five years from now. Anyways, have you noticed how this thing is bad? I know. Yeah, like, I mean, this- my whole view on the on the, no- the notice and move on thing is, you know, for people who say that oh, it was good propaganda, it actually isn't. In fact, I'd argue it's actually the opposite. It's actually horrible kind of propaganda. It's negative. It's actually kind of demoralizing form of... Uh, propaganda that really acts against us and it's as it's as if these people are are sabotaging their own side when they try and do this sort of thing because you know when you post a video of let's say um you know some freak teacher in a school uh uh, teaching some absolutely insane uh sexually criminal stuff to to the nine-year-old kids Mm. or you you post some uh i don't know uh, this is is a whole other subject i'm not i'm not going to say my view on it but you know, a few years ago, um, a lot of people heard about heard of this. If they didn't witness it themselves, was you know this video went super viral of this of this kid. I think it was in the UK, and he was getting the the shit kicked out of him by a, uh, a group of migrant children. And it was posted by this uh, Twitter account I, uh, called Voice of Europe about how uh, you know she's showing like, oh, look at what's going on, look at what immigration is doing. But then it turns out that that account was actually being run by the Metro Police in the UK. So oh, you know they really? were yeah. So they were publishing videos like that for the sole purpose of getting some either getting some lunatic to go out and and perform some some act out in public, some act of violence, or they were using it to bait people online into basically you know getting reeled into what they were posting so they can you know uh, saw oh, somebody. I mean, basically. I I uh, uh I have some some thoughts on the matter if if you're curious. Mm-hmm. Um, now you huh? see. Yeah, go ahead. You you said you said that took place in the UK, right? I'm pretty sure. Yes. Um. All right. Now I'm not just just I, I'm I'm assuming this took place in London, right? Yeah. All right. So, uh, London is a perfect example of how surveillance does nothing to crime rates. It's like a safety public placebo. All right. Like in fact, if you look at London. Because first of all, like it has not fixed crime rates ever since the public surveillance system has gone. Like I'm sure it's helped catch criminals. All right, now you all right. But I've always felt it's it's more for the the state to keep a better eye on dissidents. 
it, it's more like because like if I'm not mistaken, in, in like the EU, doesn't Antifa get like public funding? Like they they're they're much more broader as controlled opposition than they are here, but they more so over there. Yeah, I'm not sure if they get public funding, but uh, the, the, all the money they get from disability checks probably is probably enough to cover their expenses. <laughs> but 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 right, like, and it's sad because um, uh, Nigel Farage was considered a right wing lunatic kook for decades just because like he was. I don't want to say a third party option from like, you know, uh, the conservative and the liberal parties of the UK, but like, uh, first of all, like big ups to, to, to Nigel Farage. What can one man do? All right? Yeah, it's wild. He, he, he was being called a, a complete lunatic fascist uh, quite a few years ago. And now, uh, now he's really no different from uh, your average conservative who's just talking about like uh, really just the, the, the usual stuff, you know, no, nothing like me and you see on a daily basis on the timeline. Although, although one thing I find uh, fascinating is how, like, not that, all right, all right, not that he's vindicated in being like a blowhard right wing conservative talking point guy, all right, yeah. but but it is it is funny how, um, in 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 the realm of politics, uh, like, all right, uh, eventually, uh, I don't want to say people settle down or settle for or settle with but like one of two things ends up happening okay they're either forever branded as an outsider like ron paul or like once they do get like credence or like you know uh, legibility i suppose or, or legitimacy there you go once they get legitimacy then like i don't know dude haven't you ever wondered whenever someone gets into politics it doesn't matter what they run on like even in like the senator and congressional level, like on their first day in office, they close the door and there's like a room full of dudes and it's cigar smoke. And it's like, listen, I know you mean well, but like, this is how things are. And like, yeah. and, and thus begins, like, right. And the people who say no, they only serve one term or they're on Paul. Like it's so right. And, and not to come off as blackpilling or anything, but come on people. That's why on the, on the local level, like how, how do, how do people, expect to change anything when they only vote in the four-year pay-per-view world wrestling federation like election you know yeah. everyone wants to vote for president but no one wants to vote for senator or congressman um, or their local sheriff or their mayor yes 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 or their governor or nine out of ten people can't tell you who sits in the in the chamber of commerce in their neck of the woods that's a big deal but no it's always buzzword catchphrase notice and move on you know yeah just uh okay just uh, just i want to quickly move on because uh just one last question i want to ask you about and uh you told me you had a lot of thoughts on this uh before we started recording mm. about whether the guys like us like me and you and like many of the people we know are we destined to remain always dissident in the in the underground just doing our own thing or will, will we will there ever come a time where the stuff we're talking about now switches over to the mainstream um well i I would argue it depends on the domain and it depends in um, part of it has to do with the person who makes it, I suppose. Uh, like, all right, like I'll, I'll give you a few examples of how, how I think this can pan out. Um, inevitably, someone is going to fail upward in a way. And I don't mean fail upward in a bad way. I mean, like, like take like, 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 there's going to come a point where someone is uh, going to write something or make something that 
the establishment will be forced to admit it's good and even write weirdo, like second rate, weak, limp wristed apology pieces in the opinion section and be like, actually, it's not that good at all, just to keep their subscribers happy. Um, but something is going to be released or published or made or directed or written or whatever. And everyone is going to be forced to admit, oh, this is gold, you know? Mm -hmm. yeah. um, and uh, hopefully the person who makes that is a grounded, leveled human being who will do the equivalent of like Odysseus having himself tied to the ship um, and, mm -hmm. you know, uh, resisting the siren songs. Because uh, they're going to come at this guy and, like, watch Mephisto himself appear from a void and offer him anything he wants. <laughs> like, um, uh, so if that scenario doesn't happen, um, and of course, you know, it, it's kind of like when, when Tarantino became the big thing in the 90s, there came this period of time in cinema where, like, now everyone is aping his like attempt at dialogue and the cinematography and the edgier than theoretical geometry presentation of crap on screen and you know forced violence you know what i mean like yeah it's it's, it's gonna end up leaving ripples for better and for worse um so one of a few things will happen all right abdul at once someone will fail upward and uh, let's say that it's a book they sell a zillion copies in the first three hours all right um or it's like the highest grossing anything ever Hopefully that person is well equipped for that. If that doesn't happen, um, I think there are going to be people who will be able to make livings off of um, the art that they make, even though they will never be truly embraced on a wide stream scale. Like this probably isn't the best uh, comparison, but like take like death metal. Yeah, that's a very niche thing, right? But yeah. there are people out there who have made quite lucrative careers and lives. All right. Like when you think of a guy who owns like two houses in Florida and some crap shack in the middle of the woods in France, you don't think guy who screams in death metal band, but it happens. All right. Yeah. Um, so so if even such a niche subculture of a greater, I suppose, genre of art or, you know, art expression can mm -hmm. exist. I believe there will be people in our corner who like will continue to do so. Um, I believe uh, the ones that can do that are exceptional in what they do because, you know, imagine leaving it simply open to like, not exclusively the word of mouth, but like, you know, without having it given out of your hands into a publisher, with its own machinations of marketing, you know, uh, and publicists and all these other things, like, you know, like, yeah. again, word of mouth is the cheapest and most effective form of marketing. So, dude, uh, fucking, I, 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 you know what? It's like something out of, like, The Onion or Mad Magazine, how, like, for the longest time, uh, The Pussy by Delicious Tacos was uh, yeah. number one selling book on Amazon, which, imagine... Imagine working for like some like like penguin like penguin books or some shit, and yeah, you gotta explain. You gotta explain to the guy who signs your check and everyone in your department. You're like, well, uh, Mister Mister Hennings, uh, mm -hmm. the pussy by Delicious Tacos is beating us uh, three to one. Yeah, uh, it's like, oh, his name's Delicious Tacos. Like, oh no, he's just some dude online who talks about uh, his horrific sexual experiences and right. 
and his, dis- and his disgust with the heaviness of the modern world and <laughs> and that's just that's just resonating with people oh do you think we should uh put out stuff like that no keep looking for uh you know the, right. the usual case, stuff. Keep, keep, keep keep having people write books about astrology and sticking crystals up their ass that's what the kids uh-huh. want right yep <laughs> so yeah. imagine 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 being the guy who has to explain to like you know uh like the the literature department in harvard and it was like, well what are people reading these days um have you ever heard of gothic violence no all right so and then like you know five minutes later and it was like get the fuck out of my office like oh yeah <laughs> <laughs> i mean i think gothic violence is still i think it's it's rank is like twenty three thousand, and like which is incredible by the way that means he's that means he's selling like i think like 50 books a day Right, which I mean, like, all right. Um, one, there's one aspect of um, uh, what makes self-publishing uh, like such a delightful option, really, in my opinion. All right, like, so say what you will about punk and punk rock and everything that has happened ever since the mid '70s. Okay, the greatest thing punk rock ever gave the world is the DIY like work ethic. Okay. Yeah. So. Um, in fact, like, you know, the, the original zines were like, you know, Xerox together back when Xerox was like, first of all, Xerox was a copy machine. And I know I mean photocopied, but like, instead of looking something up, people say Googled. Well, old timers still say Xerox as a verb. Okay. Get, get over yourselves. Yeah. Kids. So anyways, uh, like, um, so, so the DIY work ethic, uh, is a, is a gift. And the good and bad news is that it's all in your hands. So here's my favorite example. All right, Abdullah. So there was a band called Big Black, and they took the DIY work ethic to its most conceited extremes and did it quite well. First of all, they booked their own tours, drove their own van, um, set their own gear up, and they did all these things to put as few layers between them and their money possible. And among other things, like, I don't, I, I don't know if anyone here is familiar with, like, recording albums and the painstaking process it is, but, like, you know, rather than record all the parts individually, he figured out setting up microphones in the studio where the band will play live, and boom, that's the recording we take on the album. The, and, and, and he mixed the own up. Basically, they took as much responsibility and liberty as they could in their hands to simply get as much money as they could and divide it by three. Mm-hmm. And like, that's not like, why are more people, why are there not more people looking at things that way? Like self-publishing is streamlined enough that I think for the most part, all you need is to have written the fucking thing, right? Um, yeah, pretty much. I mean, there's a few other like formatting things, but they make it so, you know, like you said, streamlined and, set up for you that you you really have to try to actually fuck up right right so so um that is miles apart from like recording albums without the help of an industry or industry strength resources all right uh and you know like uh, yes, you could make films on a $20,000 budget, but you better be amazing at what that is. And like, yeah, now you can make a movie on your iPhone, right? But like take a, like take El Mariachi or Clerks. El Mariachi had the budget of like $20 and seven bus ticket receipts. 
all of the actors were like locals except the villain. And it's one of the greatest movies of all time. So you see, like if what yeah. you do has strength or merit or substance or like take clerks. If you've ever worked a job you didn't like, you can relate to the people in clerks. So um, I'm 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 kind of curious why there aren't more because like I don't even think we've hit the point of um, oversaturation yet. I don't know if that will happen with our corner because like, you know, like Abdullah, to be honest, when I started putting up flyers and screen printing shirts and making the zine and doing all these things, I used to tell people, hey, if I could do it, anyone can do it. And then I quickly realized, dude, no, not anyone can do it. In fact, yeah, the worst same with my book. Yeah, <laughs> the worst, the worst critics are the ones that go, anyone can do it. And it's like, then why haven't you covered four of the five boroughs and flyers like you jerk? <laughs> like, what are you what are you coming at me for? And you know what I've learned, Abdullah? Some yeah. of the worst critics, I believe, are people who either have or had creative talent and then snobbishly use it to tear down the works of others that they secretly think is cool, but they can't publicly admit it. Yeah. I, 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 so, so, so that being said, um, you know, now, now granted, uh, street art and, uh, screen printing shirts and the zine is miles apart from like self-publishing a book or a novel or, you know, but still like it has never been easier at any point in our collective history, you know? And, and what I think is going to happen is that the same way you said, like you live in a bipolar in a multipolar world now. Yeah. Uh, like I think things like the New York Times bestseller list will no longer be the cultural touchstone it once was for so long. It's now going to be like, in fact, I would argue like our corner of Twitter, uh, the, the hysterical and neurotic crybabies that are secretly propped up by the industry. They're like a, a, an astroturfed corner of Twitter will be made in response to things our corner does. I think that's going to happen in a roundabout way to delegitimize it. I know that sounds insane, but like, come on. If, if, if you think DARPA isn't, you think there aren't people in DARPA reading zero HP Lovecraft work right now, trying to yeah. explain to some like two-star general? Well, you see, sure. God's yeah, remember, uh, remember, I, I know, uh, I know, Bapis po <laughs> you know, Bapis posting this um, quite a while ago, I think it was on his old account, how people were sending him uh, photos of his book and, their like uh you know their special like diplomat passports or like their special forces badges yep yeah, yeah stuff but, like that but so you know um sadly uh i have to go um thank you so much man really this is just this is incredible i really love oh, this discussion oh dude thank you so much for having me yeah. on man you want to you uh, want to plug all your stuff where can where can people find you i know that most people listening are going to know you from your twitter account but uh where else all right so you could find uh, my thoughts, residue, and ideas over at queenstrash.com uh, because I do, I do a lot of street art. First of all, you could find me on Instagram at stained underscore Haynes. That is basically nothing but flyers and shirts and the zine. You could find Cars and Women magazine at queenstrash.com. Uh, if you want to follow me on Twitter, that's your fault. You can find me at 718TV on Twitter. Um, and, and yeah, uh, I, 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 I don't like talking about work that isn't complete, uh, but no, uh, uh, I'm building on things that are already in motion. Remember, boys and girls, the shirt to flyer pipeline is real. Don't let pipelines like debilitate you, all right? I know there's like a State Department to Chapo Trap House to Chattering Class 
to bread tube pipeline and they 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 they, they use things against us and you could fight back with the flyer to shirt pipeline at queenstrash.com abdullah thank you so much for having me yeah on. absolutely man <laughs> uh okay that's it guys uh alaikum. goodbye buenas noches